Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church, and this is Sermons at High Peak. I wonder if you remember that old um, Crazy Glue commercial. You remember seeing that? That old Crazy Glue commercial where the guy put Crazy Glue on a thing on his helmet and uh, he'd hang from a beam, you know, to show how strong it was. Some of you remember that. Others of you are saying, what's Crazy Glue? You know, that's that stuff you get now. It's uh, everywhere. It's got all kinds of different names, but they were the first. And I remember that as a kid, seeing that and thinking that's pretty wild, but there's no way I want to do that. That doesn't sound like fun. I'm sort of afraid of heights. But you know, in that commercial, they would then list all the things that Crazy Glue can fix. You know, it can fix just about anything. It can fix your car, maybe even. I don't know, but uh, it just seemed like it could do everything. Um, you know, Crazy Glue just seems to work for the applications that it's meant for. But I wonder what binds families together. What would you say if I asked you that question? I won't ask it out loud, but if this was kind of one of those man-on-the-street interviews and came to each one of you and said, what binds families together? You'd probably get an awful lot of love, an uh, awful lot of answers like love as maybe the, the primary one. Um, but when you think about it, I want you to know that I think the thing that binds families together is God's love. Uh, for years, politicians would talk a lot about family values. You remember that? You don't hear much about that anymore because now that's a code word for, you know, bigotry and anti-whatever this. They, you know, don't like families very much anymore. In fact, uh, a large portion of our politicians uh, seem to want to tear the family apart. They're never more interested in the ways that they can destroy the family, whether it's through our school system or through the laws that they do, the, the tax system, everything. All of it seems to try to tear families apart. But, but what binds us together, I think, is the greatest of values, the family value of God's love. And in Genesis chapter 2, we see the crazy glue that God intended for the family. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to take a short, brief respite from the book of Hebrews over the next several weeks. We'll get back to that uh, sometime in July, but uh, I've got a few other things that I want us to look at over the next several weeks. But this is Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 18. And God made couples to be the crazy, the crazy glue of the family, a husband and a wife. And if they have children, a mom and a dad. And so look together with me at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement. And then after that, in verse 19 and 20, he asked Adam to go look for one. Go see if you can't find yourself a good helper, a good complement, a good partner. And I can only imagine, you know, what Adam thought as he went through the garden looking at all the different creatures that were there. You know, maybe he saw the elephants and thought, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, maybe he looked at uh, the lions and thought, those, those claws and teeth, a little bit too long and sharp for me. And, you know, each one as he went through the garden looking at them. Insects. You know, I wonder if the garden was so wonderful how did they deal with insects? Did they love them? Were they wonderful? Did mosquitoes not bite 
at that time. I don't understand how that you could love having mosquitoes around because I hate mosquitoes. Uh, the mosquito is the state bird of Wisconsin where I grew up. And, uh, you know, they, I am a mosquito attractor. They are really attracted to me because I am tasty to mosquitoes. But he went around looking for one and he couldn't find one. And so look at what it says in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Now don't jump over that too big. He took one of his ribs, took it out of him. And then he closed over the flesh as if he had never opened it. In verse 22, then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at least is bone of my bone, at last rather, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. And this is where every preacher has to have the obligatory joke about how woman is really, whoa, man. You know, you've heard that one many times, I'm sure, because he looked at her and thought, that's perfect. That is the right match for me. And in verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. As we look at this, there's three lessons about how God uses couples, families, to be the crazy glue of our families, but I say also our society. Without strong families, our culture will fall down. And we see that, it's happening right now. As the majority of families today are not nuclear as they used to call it. Nuclear, what does that mean? We think of it almost as in blowing things up, you know, a nuclear bomb. I think of it more, though, as powerful, potent, has a great transformative power over a culture. If there will be a nuclear family, that is a father and a mother, a husband and a wife coming together, one of each gender, and yes, there are just two, God made them, male and female, and puts them together. And when they have children and bring them up in the word of God and bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, all that means is they respect and honor the Lord and they obey him. When that happens, families have an incredible impact on society. You know, studies and statistics today show that the single greatest thing you can do for your children is marry their mother or marry their father and be brought up in a family with a husband and a father and the children. More than anything else, I heard Thomas Sowell say, you know, there's an awful lot of talk about racism right now. And he said, is it really racist when families fall apart when either the mom or the dad are not in the home with the rest of the kids? Whether they're black or white, whether they're Hispanic or some other ethnic or, uh, group, that's always the case. When the mom and dad are in the home, the family and the children end up being more successful. They get better grades. They get in trouble far less. They grow up and they get better education. They get better jobs. It's the single greatest benefit. And lo and behold, God made it that way all the way from the very beginning. And so to bring a family together, one of the things he did is he said, let's start with the beginning of a family, and that is a man and a woman coming together. And the first thing that God made our couples to be is helpers. God made our mates to be helpers, to come together to help us. Now, what does the word helper mean in this context? When you think of a helper, you often think of someone who contributes to the welfare of the other person. I think that's a, a positive definition of it, but it doesn't include everything. 
In this passage, Eve is described as the helper. A word, an old-fashioned word that people used to use was helpmate. You know, your mate is that person that you spend time with, that you come together with, that you uh, partner together to do things. And in this case, the helpmate, that's the helper who comes alongside their mate to help them. It's also used in a lot of other places. People are asked to be helpers of orphans. What do orphans need? They need someone to maybe bring them into their home or to clothe them, feed them. It says that we should be helpers to the poor in the Bible and other places. But you know, it's also used of God. God is called our helper at times. Especially in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is a helper to us. And so don't think of this as an assistant or someone who's subservient to you. Men, our wives are not our servants. They are our helpers. And there is a difference. But you know what? Men, we are to be helpers to our wives. On this Father's Day, yes, it might be nice if your wife made you some breakfast and did some special act of kindness or love to you or bought you a nice gift or maybe just to give you a good kiss on the cheek or wherever else and then, you know, you were blessed by her. But we are to be helpers of one another. So we don't we shouldn't think of this as meaning a subordinate, someone who is our servant, our slave even. No, God is not my servant or my slave in the sense that he is below me or beneath me. But he is someone who wanted to help me. And Jesus came and helped us and serves us. The Holy Spirit helps us and serves us. And so it's really just the idea of I'm here and I exist for your benefit, for your blessing, to help you. And that's what both sets of, both people in the marriage ought to be, helpers. The Bible uses this term in a lot of different ways, but I think the most important thing is that we are to help each other. Show your love by being a helper. Respect and love. You know, the rib is symbolic. Why did God create woman in this way? Uh, it was a symbol to say that the two will become one flesh, and so he could have just, you know, spoke her into existence. How did he make Adam? Well, he uh, stepped down off of uh, his perch in heaven and onto his created uh, place of earth. And he molded him by the clay of the ground. And then <clears throat> breathed life into him. Why did he make Eve that way? To show as a symbol that they are partnered side by side. Is your rib in the front? Well, yeah, sort of. But the symbol is the rib is on the sides. Now, yes, some of it's in the front, parts go around the back, but predominantly we think of it as a side by side. And that's the way the people who originally wrote and read this would have thought of it, that they are to be side by side. Anybody who looks at the Bible and thinks that it says that men should be dominant and women should be doormats doesn't understand God's heart for the family. We are to be helpers. You know, one of the biggest reasons that I think that marriages fail today is because one spouse doesn't give what the other one needs the most. And you know that what the Bible teaches us? In the book of Ephesians and also in Colossians, Paul took this idea of the two being helpers for one another and put together with the illustration of Christ and the church and made a beautiful testimony of what we are to be for one another. He said in Ephesians chapter uh, uh, 5, I think it is, he said that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Now, does that sound like 
someone who's sitting on a throne and wanting to dominate the other person. No, Jesus got off his throne and came and died for you. And in the same way, we husbands ought to serve our wives and show her incredible love by being willing to sacrifice ourselves for our wives. Now, he turned around and he said, women, when you get married and have a husband, you should honor him the way Christ was honored by the church. Does that mean you worship? He didn't use worship. He used the word honor, respect. Why is that? Because the way God made us, women generally long for love. They feel most uh, complete when they feel loved. And men, for some reason, we want to be proud. (laughs) And we want someone to sort of puff us up a little bit and make us feel proud of who we are. And so God knew that. And he said through Paul, he said, women, honor your husband. That's the thing they want most from you. In both ways, both are showing love. And by the way, both of them are honoring one another because the husband honors the Christ by serving her sacrificially. Honors the wife, rather, by serving her sacrificially. And so he says, give them what they desperately need, both emotionally and spiritually, love and respect. And really those two go both ways. But the emphasis is because of the general makeup of men and women. Now the problem is, if I don't show my wife that self-sacrificial kind of love, she naturally longs for it and wants it. And she may go looking for it somewhere else. Now you can go looking for it in a lot of different places. You go looking for love in your possessions. People Believe it or not, they think that they can feel loved by gathering lots of possessions. And then it doesn't work out, does it? Because the things you buy, those clothes that you went shopping for, you know, or uh, those uh, gadgets that men go looking, buying or whatever, it doesn't work. Those don't love you. Sometimes people go uh, looking for love in a position of power. Or they look for that honoring, glorifying feeling by a position of power, whether it's at work or in a community. Well, that doesn't work either. Because when the people who honored you look at you and when you make a mistake, they start to dishonor you. It doesn't work. It's not unconditional. But sadly, the most dangerous part is when you go looking for that love or for the honoring in other people, specifically people of the opposite gender. That's where affairs begin. Often it begins innocent. They just want to feel loved. They just want to be respected. And someone gives them that and the temptations begin and the marriage falls apart. God planned it from the very beginning and through Paul he said, be like Christ is to the church, men. Be like uh, the church is supposed to be to Christ, women. Honor your husband. Love sacrificially your wife. And in doing so, you love and honor each other. God wants us to be good helpers. And this is the greatest and most strong way that you can help is by giving them what they need the most. The second thing, God made our mates to be permanent. Now, today, sadly, that's becoming kind of blasé, kind of old-fashioned. Permanent. What? But how many people get married with the thought, yeah, this is going to be my first husband or my first wife? I have a friend, he's no longer with us, but he used to jokingly introduce his wife. I want to introduce you to my first wife. Of course, she was his only wife, and they were married for decades. Uh, It was a joke to him. It was just kind of funny. But the truth is, there are people today now who think that way. 
Oh, we're going to get married, and uh, if it doesn't work out, we'll just end it. And that's kind of sad, because the Bible teaches us that we are to come together. Look at verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. In the King James, you've probably heard it most often said, you are to leave and to cleave. You leave, in other words, that old relationship with your old family, your mom and your dad and your siblings, you leave that. Now, that doesn't mean you throw those people away and you never talk to them again, obviously, but what does it mean? It means you demote them in importance and now she becomes the most important person in your life. Or for the wife, it's the other way. You leave your family and he becomes the most important person in your life. Your primary family now becomes that other person. Remember that crazy glue we talked about? <laughs> you know, that crazy glue. When it says, uh, the, leaves the father and mother and bonds or cleaves to his wife and they become one. I remember when I was a kid, I used to build model cars. And um, <clears throat> what's funny is I hadn't really thought a lot about this in a long time. But uh, this week, Barb was uh, shopping at one store and next to it, there's like this hobby shop in um, Hickory. And so I decided to go in there just to take a look just because I really had no interest in looking at the store she wanted to look at. And so I went in there instead just to look around. And, you know, it wasn't, I probably wouldn't go back. But, but one of the things it had is this huge section of hobby uh, of cars, model cars that you can build. You know, and you paint them and you glue all the pieces together. Now, mine never came out and looked too good when I was doing it as a, a young kid. Uh, maybe I could do better now. I'm not as good an artist as uh, other people are. But, you know, people spend, you know, hours and hours and hundreds of dollars of this. But one of the things that always frustrated me is you'd get that cement. They call it cement, that modeling glue. And you'd affix it to a little piece of the plastic that your model car had. And then you'd put another piece there. And almost instantly, within a few seconds, that became permanent. And so you had to be real careful. And I can remember many times I'd put it there, and then I'd, after a few minutes, start putting other things together. And I thought, oh, I put that in the wrong place. What did I do? And I'm trying to wiggle it and trying to get it to come apart. And almost immediately, it is permanent. It ain't coming apart. And if you ever have done this, maybe you haven't, but if you've ever done this, or, or maybe you've used epoxy glue, is sort of like this too. Once it cements, it's there. It's permanent. And if you pull it apart, what are you going to do? You're going to wreck both pieces. The part that you put on and the part that you put it on too. When you pull that apart, both of them are now wrecked, unless you're just really skilled with an X-Acto knife. And even then, it's probably not going to work. Well, I want you to know something, that that's the kind of bond God intends for a husband and a wife. It should be permanent. Now in the New Testament, they came to Jesus and they said, you know, Moses said that we could divorce our spouses if we gave them a certificate of divorce. You know, what say you? He said, he told you that because of the hardness of your hearts. But God said, it should come together and be permanent for as long as you both shall live is the way the traditional um, you know, vows go in a marriage ceremony. And he said, the only excuse that it can ever be broken is, and he used the, the Greek word pornea, which you can hear pornography. It's sexual sin. That's the only excuse. And even then, later on, when Paul wrote, he said, if at all possible, you should still keep the marriage together 
So if there is sexual infidelity, if the one is willing to come back and be forgiven and to repent and renew the commitment, then you should still keep it together, even in that that circumstance, as hard as it may be. Now, I've seen over the years in my counseling ministry with couples that it can happen. I've counseled couples where there was sexual infidelity that was about to break it up. They literally split up in the sense they weren't living together anymore. And through the grace of God... And through their own humility, they came back together and forgave one another. And that couple that I'm thinking of is married today. So it can come together. It is to be permanent and to never be taken away. Why is this so important? It's so important because the broken home is what hurts the children, if there are children. Think about all the other side problems that come from this, financial and otherwise. There's an awful lot of difficulty that comes from this. Now, I know some people, and there are a few of you here, many of you here, that's happened to you. Does that mean you ought to blow up your current remarriage and go back and try to get married? No, don't do that. That's silly. (laughs) Together, now, see your current marriage that way. Put all of that in the past because God has, if you said, I'm sorry, Lord, and move forward, the two of you, being one. But it's not the ideal. It's not the way God intended it, and you ought to know that. You probably know it better than most if you've been through those difficult circumstances. But there's a God of grace. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. But we should also see it as something we don't take lightly. We are to be helpers, and it should be permanent. And third, it should be unconditional. God made our mates to be our unconditional lovers. Think about that. Unconditional. There are no conditions set to it. People today often say, I fell out of love. Well, then you never fell into love because love never fails. Love never ends, 1 Corinthians 13 says. But look at what it says in verse 23 of our passage. Genesis 2, 23, it says, The man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woe man or woman, for she was taken from man. The two become permanent and the two become unconditional in their love for one another. You know, there's an old joke that, you know, you kind of used to talk about when you got something you didn't want. Uh, You'd go and look at Walmart, see if Walmart has it. Because even if they didn't buy it at Walmart, Walmart would take it back (laughs) if they sell it at Walmart. I don't know if they still do that or not. But I remember we used to talk about that. You know, hey, Walmart, I can take it back to Walmart. They've got it. And they'd take it back. They might have... Change that policy, I don't know. But you know, you get your wedding gifts and you look through them and if you found one you didn't like, let's check out Walmart, see if they've got it and then we can take it back there. Um, The thing is, things are not as easy to give back when God binds it together. It should be permanent and therefore unconditional. The two come together. If I make a permanent bond or commitment to my wife, that means that I have now unconditionally promised myself to her. There's nothing she can do that would stop me from staying committed if I have an unconditional love for her. And that's the way God wanted it. Think about the things that many people give. A lot of gifts that you give, you can give it back. You know? We used to have derogatory terms for that as a kid. They're not politically correct today, but you know, you give someone a gift, I don't want that, you can give it back. But that doesn't work too well with a heart transplant, does it? 
can't give that back <laughs> because the minute they take it from the donor, that person's done needing it. <laughs> but you know, there's also other kidney and other kinds of donor. You know, you can give a kidney to someone, but that's the kind of thing. I don't think they can take it out of them and give it back to the original person. And so when you give your love to someone, when you give your commitment in marriage to someone, it is to be unconditional and permanent. The two come together. I remember Daniel had a Game Boy cartridge that he really loved playing and it didn't work anymore. And he did what a lot of kids do today. He went on YouTube to see if he could figure out a way to fix it himself because he didn't want to have to pay the 20 or 40 or however many bucks those Game Boy cartridges cost. And what he found out was that a lot of times the problem that his cartridge was exhibiting was a bad battery. And then if he could find a battery from an old Game Boy cartridge that wasn't working, he could put it in there. Well, he had another game he didn't like to play anymore. So he popped that thing open and he took the battery out and he was trying to figure out how to get it back in. And I remember him bringing it to me, all these little pieces of Game Boy cartridges. And I'm like, what in the world happened here? What'd you do? And he told me the whole story. I said, well, let's see what we can do. And we figured it out. We got it to go, put the battery in there, and it still had life in it, glued the cartridge back together, and he plugged it into his Game Boy, and voila, it worked. All of his games that he had saved were gone because apparently it's not permanent storage unless you got that battery keeping it going. He was a little upset about that. But it worked. And the point of this is that battery powered it, and our love powers our commitment. Without the love of God in your life, you will not have an unconditional love for your spouse. You'll lose power. You can get it back through repentance and through God's grace and through uh, his uh, inspiring forgiveness in your life. You can restore that love. If it was real love, it never went away. But it can now become the central part of your relationship once again if you're willing to do some work to make certain, but it all comes with, at the center, the Holy Spirit drawing you together. You know, the Holy Spirit draws us together as believers. Uh, when we become a member of the church and we are baptized, we have surrendered our life to Christ. We've asked forgiveness for our sins. And the moment you ask forgiveness, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you begin to learn how to submit every day to the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit starts to bind you with other people. You know, there are probably people in this room who outside of a church relationship probably wouldn't get along too well. But because of their submission to the Holy Spirit, they can work together and they can come together to achieve God's plan for the world. But you know, that's even true in a marriage. Even if you don't get along with your spouse through the power of the Holy Spirit, Helping you love that person. It can be permanent and unconditional. So how do we fix it? We've talked a lot about what needs to happen. Let me just give you a few things that I think that I've seen help over the years. One is every single couple that I counsel, whether it's before marriage or after, I talk to them about the five love languages. Some of you have heard of this. Some of you have read the book. Some of you have been through the training. We did it here years and years ago. And what are the five love languages? Well, there are five different ways that we show one another that unconditional godly love. And it's a somewhat of a psychological thing, but I think there's definitely a spiritual element to it. And one is that you encourage one another with what 
the original author of the book said, words of affirmation. In other words, you tell them, boy, you sure did a great job on whatever. You know, that meal you made certainly was wonderful. Boy, I sure am proud of you because they did something well at work. And you say, boy, I am proud of you. And so you give them those words of affirmation. Some people, when they get those words of affirmation, it's like an absolute jolt of vitamins and, and all kinds of energy, and they just, boom, they spring to life, and they just start loving you back in such a powerful way because they love receiving those words of affirmation. Are they glory hounds? No, that's just the way they were built, the way they were made. Some of it, I think, is God in, imbued, and some of it, I think, is something that comes from upbringing. The second one is physical touch. And I'm not just talking about sex, guys. I'm talking about just being there, putting your arm around your husband or your wife, holding hands, especially in public. I remember as a kid going to my home church, Northwest Baptist Church, and after service was over, Tom and Nanelle Biles, that was my pastor and his wife's name, they lived in a parsonage probably twice as far as our house is from this building. But I remember every Sunday, them walking home hand in hand. And I looked at that, I thought, that's kind of nice. My parents did that privately in home. They didn't really do it a whole lot outside of the home. But I just liked that. I thought that was a good example to follow. That physical touch, that little bit of touch just says, hey, I'm here and you're special to me. You're important to me. And it's okay. Now, there's other kinds of physical touch that are awful nice too. And now all, almost all relationships need that as well. But this is more than that, and it's sometimes different than that. A third kind is your time. Face-to-face -face devoted time. At the end of a hard day, sitting on a couch or sitting in your easy chairs next to each other or across the, from one another or next to each other at the dinner table, just looking at them and listening to them. You take the cell phone and you put it down and you don't pick it up until you've had physical eye-to-eye -eye contact with your mate. <clears throat> The fourth one is gifts. And, you know, a lot of people get frustrated. All she ever wants me to do is bring her stuff. That's because gifts is her love language for whatever reason. And you know what? What I've learned, it doesn't have to be expensive. You don't have to go out and spend $10,000 on a, on a diamond jewelry necklace. Just a dollar on a card that you happen to see at the drugstore. Do they have cards for a dollar anymore? It doesn't seem like it. They all see... You know, those, you know those silly uh, roses that they have next to the gas station? You know, they're nothing. They're really not that nice. But hey, bring one home to your husband or your wife. What does it say? I was thinking about you when I was away from you. I know this is ugly and nothing, nothing special, but I love you. And they look at it and think, oh, that's wonderful. Kind of smells bad, but it's in the gas station. But still, he was thinking of me. I love him for that. And just like the other ones, it feels like they just were injected with energy. And the final one is service. Just do something nice for them. Do something that says, I love you, that you wouldn't normally do, over and above. All of those things show love. Here's the second thing. That's the first one, the five love languages. Here's the second thing. Give your spouse what the Bible tells you to give them. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. That means self-sacrificially. I promise you that wives will be a lot happier with you being called the head of the house if being the head of the house means you're doing everything you can to submit to her by sacrificing for her, by helping her out, by being there for her. And then flip it around. 
For some reason, we men want our ego stroked. Wives, just do it for us. And it will build your relationship. And in doing so, you're showing that love. By sacrificing for her, you're showing her honor. So you're giving both the honor and the love to each other. But make your primary focus on love for your wife and honor for your husband. Third thing is this. It's so obvious and easy. Separate from all others. Don't threaten to go back home to your mom if you're newlyweds. <laughs> it's not the right way. Work it out. Stay together. Your buddies, they can be your buddies. It's healthy to be separate for a little bit, knowing that you'll always come back together. But if it becomes such a priority that you ignore them, then it becomes a problem. Separate from all others. And here's the last one. I don't know if I can find this in the Bible. I can find it in 28 years of marriage. Just have a lot of fun together. Just laugh with each other. Oh, and by the way, it's okay to laugh at each other. <laughs> I give Barb a lot of things to laugh at, not just with. Have a lot of fun. And if you can do those four things together, your marriage should and will be healthy because it will honor Christ first and each other second. You've been listening to sermons at High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us. If you heard something that inspired you, challenged you, or encouraged you, please let me know. You can reach me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook at High Peak Church. Thanks for listening.